0: We're starting this series on spiritual formation this evening, and uh, I've been tasked to use my nerd power to help introduce sort of this uh, wide swath of Christian history and spirituality in the church, about, you know, 2,000 years' worth in about 20 to 25 minutes, no big deal. Um, So welcome to that. Thank you for coming. I'm going to be doing this in about three, three sections or movements. The first being a few snapshots about church history and a few stories from across the ages. The second being a time for sharing some of our stories. And the third being a focus on the biblical story. So that's our our plan for the evening. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, He went and sold all that he had and bought it. Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. When we read about the story of Jesus in the New Testament, uh, we don't get the impression that he was necessarily trying to start a whole new religion, uh, especially considering he was a Jewish rabbi. Um, But the writers of the New Testament describe an evolution that begins to happen after his ascension. Jesus' teachings started to spread very rapidly, and because of the countercultural content of those teachings, his followers were not always accepted, and in fact, they were persecuted from time to time. Because of the growth of the early church, it was hard to keep all of the ducks in a row, theologically speaking. Um, And some people believed Jesus would return soon and that, that would just solve all the problems. <laughs> but uh, as it turns out, that didn't happen, and so they had to start making some decisions about what they believed and why. And so that's when you start hearing about the church councils. They didn't have the benefit we do of a few thousands of years of theology and church history to draw from, so they were starting from scratch. So when you hear some of these stories, keep that in mind. One of the earliest known pieces of Christian literature written by a woman is the story of Perpetua. Perpetua was an educated woman from a wealthy family who was martyred in the year 203 for her Christian faith. At the time, she was only 22 years old and a nursing mother. The story tells of her family members coming to the prison to beg her to give up her faith and save herself for the sake of her child. But she refuses. And so she is sent to the arena. And her account um, is written by her up until that point and then someone else takes over and tells the story of what happened in the arena. Um, And this is where reading it's important to read from different accounts of history and not just get all your information from one source. It's like only hearing one side of the story in an argument. That's usually problematic. Um, So I thought it was interesting. I read I saw her her story in different places and um, the thing they had in common was that when they, when she was sent to the arena along with several other Christians um, who were being martyred, uh, they were mauled by animals and at the end she draws the sword of the gladiator to her throat um, in a last act of bravery. However, in one, I found an interesting little side note. After a, she had been sort of thrown about around by a wild heifer, it says. Uh, then having asked for a pin, she further fastened her disordered hair, for it was not seemly that a martyr should suffer with her hair dishe- disheveled, lest she should seem to mourn in the hour of her glory. It was interesting there, um, I actually struggled a little bit when I was reading the story of, of uh, Perpetua as a martyr because there was, it sounded like there was a little bit of glorification of violence. Um, but again, remembering through the lens of history, um, times were different. Perpetua's story of, an ex- of her experience was circulated for years among early Christian congregations. They might have read it at a gathering similar to this, since they, of course, didn't have the New Testament yet, handy in one little volume. Um, hers is a story about spiritual awakening that moved her beyond given social and religious definitions and the way she transcended her societal roles to forge a new identity. St. Augustine would even eventually preach a couple of sermons in her honor. Many women um, in years to come in the church would find uh, a voice in the tradition of mysticism that grew between 1100 and 1450. Mysticism in the sense they believe they experienced God in a direct unmediated Um, mysterious way, it was hard to describe, not really something we can put on a chart when we're talking about mystics. So just keep in mind mystics, uh, very mysterious experience, Um, sometimes hard to believe. Um, It turns out there are more female mystics than male um, as we take a look at their writings, Um, probably because um, women in their isolation in convents had opportunity for more meditation, contemplation, prayer, Uh, they were teaching, preaching, caring for the poor and sick, um, counseling, doing personal visits, so that's the theory behind why there may be more women than men. One of these was Catherine of Siena from Italy, who was born in the mid-1300s. This was the year, she was born the year before the plague called the Black Death, took the lives of nearly a third of the people in Europe. She was the 23rd of 25 children Um, And it said she saw visions of Jesus as early as age seven. But she wasn't satisfied with a life of only just contemplation. At the age of 16, she joined the uh, the Third Order of St. Dominic, an organization of religious laypeople who lived at home and served the poor and sick. She attracted many followers as a spiritual director because of her devotion and what they called her feisty personality. And she spent time reading up on the spiritual fathers and mothers and preachers of her time. She's known for experiencing what she called a marriage to Christ in a vision. And uh, she was even known to talk about a ring that only she could see as part of that marriage. And that's, that image that she had, that vision, seemed to sustain her for the rest of her life. So it was clearly very a, pow- a very powerful experience for her. When another plague hit her hometown, everyone else took off and she stayed to help with nursing and burying of the dead. After that, she turned her attention to reformation of the church and society and uh, started a letter writing campaign to the Pope at that time, who was Gregory XI. She wrote that she was really wanting him to uproot the bad priests and rulers who poison and rot the church's garden. Alas, what confusion is this to see those who ought to be a mirror of voluntary poverty, meekest lambs distributing the possessions of Holy Church to the poor, and they appear in such luxury and state and pomp and worldly vanity. Kind of reminded me of some things I've heard Pope Francis say. The communal life of the monastery uh, gave women some more autonomy and freedom, especially reproductive choice, which they might not have had if they had gotten married. Um, And the convent also offered them protection, education, and additional leadership opportunities. At the advice advice of a friend, I recently started watching uh, uh, a Mexican series that was recently acquired by Netflix called Juana Ines, Um, And it's about the life of Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, who was born near Mexico City in 1651. Her family noted that even as a very young child, she had a thirst for knowledge and was so obsessed with her grandfather's library that she had to be dragged out from time to time. So they eventually sent her to live at the Viceroy's Court, hoping that that would give her some more opportunities. The first convent she entered, Um, after that was too strict. So she entered the convent of St. Santa Paula of the Hieronymite Order, where she became a a writer of many different kinds of uh, works including poetry, satire, carols, plays. Um, She studied science and philosophy and collected thousands of books in different languages. Um, A new viceroy and his wife came to the city and um, Juana would, uh, write some erotic love poetry to uh, the wife of the viceroy and uh, she was befriended by them and they acted as her patrons one of sor Juana's most famous works el sueño or the dream described the soul's desire for knowledge and her experience of finding intellectual enlightenment she found that her studies of rhetoric physics music mathematics architecture Law, history, astronomy, all these things she thought were helpful for her in understanding the scriptures of the Bible, and so um, she continued to defend the rights of women to be educated. Her knowledge and fame seemed to threaten church leaders of the time, um, who eventually investigated her for her conduct and forced her to give away her library, Um, although some sources say that she sold it. That's why we read different accounts. Uh, Most of them say that she was forced to give it away. And then she um, died not long after that, a year later. One other story I'd like to share from you, it's just a snapshot, is that of Samuel Green. He was a man born into slavery in the United States in 1802. When his enslaver died, he was able to buy his and his wife Kitty's freedom, but not their children's. He became an African Methodist Episcopal lay preacher and licensed exhorter, preaching the word in the meeting houses of black Christians. His daughter was sold to a doctor in Missouri and as far as we know, that's where she died. There's not much account of her life after that. His son, however, was able to escape and with the help of Harriet Tubman made it to Canada. Samuel went to visit his son and when he got back, he was arrested after the sheriff went through his house and found a copy of Uncle Tom's cabin inside. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but freed after a new governor came to term um, after five years on the condition that he leave Maryland. He and his wife immigrated to Canada for a time, but eventually moved back to Maryland after the Civil War where he continued his work in the church and became involved with the Centenary Biblical Institute in Baltimore. I mentioned that I would be sharing a few snapshots, just to sort of whet your appetite for this series. There's no way to cover uh, such a vast period of time in such a short um, conversation. So what I'd like to do now is do some crowdsourcing of stories, and um, in a few moments, um, it's gonna be your turn. So I've shared these stories, hopefully some that you hadn't heard before. I made an attempt to find some that were maybe less known. um, And, I know that you all may have some of these people who have um, been inspirational to you. So um, I'm gonna ask you to turn to a neighbor and take a few minutes to share who are the rebels, the mystics, the martyrs that you look up to, who inspires you, who challenges you and helps you transcend yourself and your societal roles. So find a friend or two and uh, I'll give you around five minutes to do this. If you'd like to come and write their name up on the paper, um, we can share those as well to sort of hear more stories. So you may begin. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna have to ask you to draw to close. I'm, I'm curious. How did you feel about this little exercise? Thumbs up. <laughs> How did you feel about this exercise? Yeah, Garrett. We quickly went abstract. We were talking about uh, religious just um, rebels and martyrs, and next thing we know, we're talking about Pearl Jam and that. <laughs> it went like really far, really fast. That's fine. <laughs> I like it. Anybody embarrassed by who? <laughs> who your person was? embarrassed by when we break up into groups and various things it's just intimidating in general okay and that's interesting coming from that one <laughs> <laughs> if you knew her when she says things like that but when you when you interact with the group even people you know you find out that little bit more about them mm-hmm. of what you know what kind of makes you tick. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we do this. Um, Storytelling and sharing our stories is a big part of the open table. Um, we know you could go pretty much anywhere on a Sunday and just hear someone like doing the talking head thing, but and having the chance to sit down with your neighbors and have a meal and, and have some deeper conversation is important to us, so we try to make time for that every time we get together. Um, you can feel free to add to this, um, either now or later, but I'm going to continue with a final few words on the biblical story, which I started earlier from the Gospel of Matthew, in which Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, real quick, by show of hands, how many of you were here when Dr. May was with us talking about New Testament parables and how we can read them? Okay, small handful. It was a while back. It was last year sometime. Um, The podcast is on our website if you really want to see it. It's um, under first century politics. Um, But for those who weren't here, I'll give you a one-sentence synopsis, which is, um, If myths help us sleep at night, parables keep us awake. If myths help us sleep at night, parables keep us awake. So, in other words, if we're reading a parable of Jesus and we end up with a really simple answer at the end, like this means this, this means this, then we might need to keep reading it. Um, So, uh, a lot of times when I've heard this verse uh, preached or taught on, I hear that the merchant is us and the pearl is the kingdom of God, or God. Um, which is another one of those readings, which is okay, but not as really thorough as it could be. Um, maybe not as challenging as it could be. Um, one of the reasons for that is that um, with that reading, if, if, if God is the pearl and we're the merchant, um, it kind of makes the kingdom of God into a commodity that can be bought and sold. And there's a problem with that because we believe in grace, and God's love, which is given freely. Um, And there's also a problem with seeing us as the merchant because merchants weren't seen in a necessarily positive light in uh, ancient Israel. So um, this form of merchant would have been similar to the kind of merchants that Jesus kicked out of the temple. Um, So let's not maybe put ourselves in in their shoes just yet. Um, It's also not like this merchant gave up everything that he had. He d- didn't make much of a sacrifice because he sold a lot of little things for one big thing. He still had that valuable thing. Didn't sound like he took a loss. We don't get that, that impression. He didn't sell, the, sell it and give the proceeds to the, pearl, to the poor. Um, so what's going on? So it's said that the merchant goes shopping for fine pearls. So that's, that's on his to-do list. He takes that to the store or the market, and, um, but he ends up with something else something different than what he went shopping for, or trading for, something unexpected. Sounds like he maybe incorrectly assessed what his desire and his goal was for the day, um, but he's able to recognize what for him is something of true value and can do what he needs to order in order to obtain it. So there's something transcendent, mystical, unseen, and unknown about this whole interaction, about this pearl. Once he purchases the pearl, he's done shopping. He's no longer a merchant because he doesn't have any more goods. He's removed himself from the the cycle of buying and selling. So not only did he break the cycle, he stepped out of it entirely. He's no longer a merchant. Now he's just that guy with the awesome pearl. Let's uh, Let's not kid ourselves that there are no economic implications to this parable. Because we know that there are some cases when Jesus asks someone to give up everything they have as far as money and resources and possessions. That that does happen in scripture and I know some people personally who feel uh, a call from Jesus to do exactly that. Sometimes going all in though is uh, yes, about giving up money and resources, but it is also about giving up other comforts in order to obtain whatever that ultimate concern is that pearl is. A person may give up status, friendships, family relationships, time, security. This parable uh, challenges us not just to think about what our own ultimate concern is, what our pearl might be, but also if we know what the ultimate concern of our neighbor is. One person's pearl might be something you and I take for granted. For example, Samuel Green from the story I read earlier, he might say his pearl is freedom for him and his family. While Sor Juana Inez from the other story might say knowledge. This is not an easy process, um, and I don't have an answer for you. Um, And you can tell from these stories that we've heard that um, many difficult things are in store for us as we seek that which is the most valuable, that thing of utmost concern. Um, It requires an ongoing commitment to Jesus' command to seek and you will find. I like the part where it's not finding the thing, it's not the end, it's not the winning that's the important part, but the seeking. If you haven't already found it, the ultimate concern, that pearl, don't, don't panic, don't be afraid. One day you'll be going about your business, doing your merchant things, and God will bring it across your path, because Jesus likes to show up in unexpected ways. In unexpected places, and when it appears, you will no longer be the person that you were. That's what the Spiritual Formation Series is about, seeking that ultimate concern, using the practices of both action and contemplation, devotion and justice hand in hand. We aren't gonna give you the answers, but we will help give you some of the tools you need to find it. As Nick mentioned, we're gonna have a series of five gatherings. The next one will be on August 13th. And we're gonna have some small group opportunities in between where you can practice some of the things that we're talking about and um, do that in community in a safe space, um, do some kind of spiritual formation skill building. And the retreat will be one of those opportunities as he mentioned. Uh, We have one more gathering of the Fearless Workshop led by Garrett and Elle coming up on Wednesday, August 2, which is a different day than what they've been doing it on. They've been meeting on Thursdays, but this is a Wednesday, note to self. Um, That'll be at Key key Coffee in the River Market. I've put a lot out there tonight, a lot of stories, and I've given you a parable to keep you up at night. or Jesus has given you a parable, rather. I've just talked a little bit about it. Um, So as you continue to ponder these things and uh, your own rebels, mystics, and martyrs, um, remember that we are the rebels and mystics and martyrs of today. So people get ready. There's a training coming. You don't need... (laughs) no baggage, you just get on board. Don't need no ticket, we just thank the Lord. Would you pray with me? Continue in prayer. God, we thank you for the story of Jesus whose narrative of love models for us what's possible, the kind of life that we can live and love, um, loving you as we love ourselves, loving our neighbor, as ourselves, even learning to love ourselves so some days that's easier than others. We pray for your presence to be with us as we continue in this series and that we would hear, uh, have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hands to work in whatever way that we're called. Amen. The best way to keep in touch with us if you wanna know about these upcoming events is by the email list outside on the welcome table where you'll also find the donation box as Nick mentioned earlier. Um, And if you'd like to be involved, if you'd like to help maybe lead some of these conversations or um, be part of a small group or something, let Nick or I know or drop a note in the box and we'll get it that way. Send us an email, there's lots of ways to do it. Um, And in closing, thank you. Uh, thank you for being here, for being part of this conversation, uh, for eating together and preparing the meal, for playing the music. Thank you to Second Prez for sharing this space with us. Um, and as you go out, remember that your story is important, your story is blessed. And um, we're, we're on this train together. Go in peace.